Psalm 139 is a celebration of God's invasion of our privacy, and we're not sure we want that to happen. Is that good news or bad news? And so the psalmist begins, and he says, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down, you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before, you have laid your hand upon me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So three weeks ago, we recognized that what the psalmist is saying is that we're invited to bring our world into God's world, that we get to do life together with the one who knows us perfectly in our imperfection. The psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast, and if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, for the night will shine like the day. And so last week, Pastor Jason reminded us that no matter where our place is, that we cannot escape God's face. His presence, he himself, is here right now. The psalmist says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So two weeks ago, Pastor Nicole created a letter from God and read that to us. And then she summed it up with, with way to go, Nicole, with just an amazing insight that has impacted me for several weeks now. And she simply said this, that this God who knows us perfectly in our imperfection, this God wants intimacy more than he wants control. So what do we do with God's invasion of our thoughts, of our space, of our time, of our destiny? Ever watch a TV program and, and it begins, the episode begins and there's this really climactic moment at the very beginning, it's very critical and then the screen comes on and it says 12 hours earlier. There's something that prompted this thing that happened. So what has taken place, the psalmist says he's, he's in my mind and he knows these things and I can't get away from him and he created me. What prompted that? That's what we see today because there was something that prompted all of this. It is the core of this psalm. When I was a senior in college, we challenged another Christian college close by to a tackle football game without pads. So we, we met at a, at a neutral grass field and lined it out and, and got a hold of some refs and brought them in, and the word got out, and, and students from both campuses were crowding around the field, and so then the, the players, we all got together at the center of the field, and we prayed, and we prayed for God's protection, and then we said amen, and then we walked away planning on how we're going to hurt each other. <laughs> Somewhere in the, in the middle of that game, I went out for a pass, and 
and, and he underthrew it, and, and, and somebody intercepted it, and I chased him down, and I gave him a really good, solid hit. And as I'm hitting him, my future brother-in-law, who was on our side, smacked into that guy and just nailed him good, and he went down with a thud. And, and, and whether or not Kent kicked him on the way up, I can't tell you. He did, right in the head. And we high-fived each other. And by the end of the game, there were several broken bones and a couple concussions. It was a great game. <laughs> but the prayer, in all honesty, in the very beginning should have been, God, show me how I can hurt those guys. You say, well, shame on you. Well, wait. Mr. King, priest, worshiper after God's own heart, David, after all this wonderful, this wonderful poetic expression of God's involvement in our lives, listen to what he says. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And I abhor those who rise up against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. So I dare you. I dare you to go in your house and pull down that pretty picture that you have Jesus smiling or him carrying that lamb or, or that little thing you have on your desk that God has loved and replace it with a really nice plaque that says, slay them, O God. I dare you. I dare you to put on there, I hate those who hate you, O Lord, and see how many say, boy, I want to go to your church. I'd love to be with you. David is identifying a vortex of wickedness that is about to suck him in, in in its evil, and he says, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to do that. You see, Jeff Newbery, it would be like if you were the psalmist David, and you look around you and see these people around you, and, and you realize, that, turn and look at them, Jeff. Just see those people? Those people have no respect for life. No regard for justice, no interest in making right choices. And what's worse, he says, is those people that surround me, as they're doing their evil, they're wearing a label that says, God's man, God's woman. While the whole time, they are strategically figuring out how they can reject God. How they can scheme against his authority. And David says, it is my desire, it is my deep, 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 deep desire that you stop this movement of evil. It is the feeling you had this week when the news flashed and said a gunman broke in to Roseburg Community College and killed some people. And you said, God, stop that evil. Put an end to that. These are not David's personal enemies. These are God's enemies. And, God wants to, and David wants God to know, I'm not with those guys. I'm committed to you. I don't tolerate or cooperate with evil. I hate the evil that hates you. I hate them. I hate that. Yeah, 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 wait, wait, wait. But the one who would come in the lineage from David's throne, the Messiah would say, don't hate, but love your enemy. So who's, who's right, David, Jesus, who's right? But see, understand that hate and love are not necessarily opposites. For Jesus one day would say this. He'd say, if you're going to follow me, you must love me and hate your parents. He's not really saying that you need to dislike your parents. What he's saying is this. It is a comparison of the type of love that you have. 
Because if this is normal love, this is hate and this is love, and you love your parents here and people hate over here, he said, to love God, your love can't be here. Your love has to be over here. And that love has to be so passionate and extreme the way you sang about it this morning that the love that you have for your parents seems to be so far away from the love that you have for God, it's almost clumped in with hatred because it is so less than the love you have for him. It, it, it would be... If, if, if I'm hanging out with, with Luke and, and I say, hey, Luke, man, I, just, I love you, dude. I just really love, I love hanging with you. And so let's go to Hooch and Blotto's and, 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 and go bowling. Is that cool? I got that new bowling alley. You seen that thing? It is so cool. So I, I love you. Let's, let's do that, okay? I, and you're all here. Yeah, I love you, man. I just, I just really love you. And on the way there, Pam calls me and I answer the phone and she goes, hey, baby. Because <laughs> many times Pam calls me and goes, hey, baby. I know it's going to be a hey, baby time. And she says, you know, I, we need to get out of town, and I just found this romantic hideaway for two days, but we got to go now. Luke, <laughs> Hooch and Blottos, bowling, hey, baby, <laughs> two days, romantic hideaway, sorry, dude. You say, man, don't you love him? Oh, I still love him, but, but I love her. Pam and I had some friends when we first married and, and, and we first had our, our first child and, and they had a child and their child was born about six months earlier than our child and they were both toddler age and so one Sunday they invited us after church to come to their house and they're making dinner and, and, so, and, and they're Italian and so it, it takes forever to make lunch, but boy, is it good. And so we're sitting around, and we're at their countertop, and, and Mikey, their son, is harassing my daughter, Christy, and he's six months older, and, and he's kind of smacking around, whatever, and they're going, oh, Mikey, stop it. Don't do that, Mikey, please. Mikey, you know better. He's not hurting her. <laughs> and I'm seeing this go on, and, and, you know, I love Mikey, but I love Christy. And so he just, he keeps going, and finally he does something else, and, and they say, Mikey, 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 now get away from her. So as Mikey walks by, I'm sitting at the counter on a stool, and I spin it around, and the Holy Spirit of God took my foot. <laughs> and as he went by, I just kind of lifted him off the ground in his little diapered butt, and just poof. And he went up and fell down and began to cry. She said, what happened? I, go, I have no idea what just took happened there. Now understand that I love Mikey, but I love Christy. And if Mikey begins to violate or attack Christy, my allegiance, my alliance is with her, and no matter who that is, I will stand up against that to protect her. It is what God expects. So God says to the prophet Jeremiah, he said, I want you to take a belt and I want you to take the belt and I want you to wrap it around you. And I want you to wear it. And after he did that, he said, now I want you to take it. And I want you to, I want you to go outside into a, into a foreign place and I want you to find a cleft in the rock, a little crack in the rock, and I want you to stick it right there and leave it. And then the Spirit of God said, go back and get it. He went back and got it. And the Scripture says that it was ruined. 
that it was no longer useful. It was useless. And then God said, I want you to go to Israel and tell them this. I called you to myself so that I could wear you as a belt. Because I wanted our presence to be together. I wanted your story to be my story. I wanted us to be as one. I wanted to love you. I wanted our presence to be together. I, I, I wanted you to find your destiny in me. But you wrapped yourself around someone else. And you have ruined yourself. You wrapped yourself around a vortex of wickedness that sucked you in and you went its way. And you don't love me like you love them. And his love says you have to love me to the degree that no matter who else you love, it almost looks like hate. Because that's the way the relationship we have has to work. See, you understand that. I understand that. We understand this, this, this vortex of wickedness that's around us right now. We understand how it tries to suck us into it so that, that we love God, but we do things that we know will violate our relationship with him. We even justify it. We may even call it Christian freedom. It may be our profanity. It may be our partying. It may be our sexual escapades, our adventures. But we say, it's, it's okay. I can, I can party and I can have sex when I want it and I can do all of those things and still come here and worship. And God takes care of me because you know why? Because Jesus loves me. It is true. Jesus loves you. But that's not the question. The question is, do you love him? That's the question. You say, well, yeah, no, 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 no. You gotta understand this, that if you love him, it means that you gotta look at it this way. It's like if you were with those people that are around his throne right now that are worshiping him, who look at him and go, holy, 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 because they say even this, that in the moments when we see him and see him in his depths of who he is, that I can't even utter a word because even to speak a word would be profane. So can I, can I go there in that throne? Can I stand before him and speak my normal language that I speak this word? Can I say that it was F and great and SH and GD? Can I say that in front of him and say, he's for that? Because if he can't, then I'm wrapping myself around a culture and a language that is not him and it's not love. Can, can I say to him, hey, come with me because I'm going I'm to hook up this week and I'm going to go over here and I'm going to find this girl and we're going to go hook up for the weekend because you created sex and it's a wonderful thing. And, and you think God's going to look at you and go, that's really great. That's good. He says, you either love me or you don't. And your love for me has got to be so much greater than whatever else you're loving in this culture. You've wrapped yourself around the wrong thing. You say, well, I'm going to go party this weekend and, and I probably drink too much and when I drink too much, you know, I get a little flirty and, and I'll say some things I shouldn't say. And, and Jesus, you okay with that, right? No. Oh, I said, well, Jesus partied. You know, Jesus went in as the Holy Son of God to influence people. And so you've got to ask yourself, who do I love? How am I loving? Because God said, if you, if you don't love me that way, you are ruining who I've created you to be. And you become useless, not useful. That is why Jeremiah said, I, I live in a culture that is useless and I live in a culture that is ruined, but I choose not to be that way. 
And I, and I gotta tell you now that, that the way that the culture is changing in America and it's the way it's changing around the world, there will become a time, if, if you have not gotten there yet, where you have to stand and say, I will not become that way. I will not do that. I caught myself gasping this week as I heard a man, that a man stood in front of people and said, what's your religion? And they said, well, I'm a Christian, and, he, and then they would shoot them. And, and, and the courage really had to come, maybe not with the first one who didn't know it was going to happen, but with the second one who said, yes, I'm a Christian, knowing they're going to be shot. And, and that person made a choice. And so I say to myself, if, if I can't stand against a culture that makes me feel bad for what I say, how can I stand before someone who says your life depends on it? So we're at that point. We are at that point. And, and, and Jeremiah's at that point. He said, the culture is ruined, but I'm not going to be that way. And so Jeremiah says this, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. I never joined the people in their merry feasts. I sat alone because your hand was on me. I was filled with indignation at their sins. If you return to me, I will restore you so that you can continue to serve me. And this is God speaking. If you speak God's words rather than the worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. You must influence them. Now catch this. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you. He says, I, I have taken your words and I devoured them because I want them to shape me. And may I say that you'll never become the lover of Jesus that you need to be if you don't take his words and devour them. Say, so how do I do that? Oh, we'll help you. We have studies. We have people. We have mentors. We'll do that. He said, I wear your name so that when they're having their parties, when they're having their merry feasts, when they're partying, there are those moments that I'm not with them, and I, suddenly I find myself alone, and all my friends have left me, but I'm standing there alone because your hand is on me, and I've decided that I hate the sins of that community, and I can't do that. To follow God is to hate what he hates. But do I? Now, here's the scary part. If I look deep down inside of me, am I Jack the Preacher or Jack the Ripper? What's in there? Jeremiah understood that because he declares this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. And so I say, God, you look inside of me, and, and I'm saying I hate that evil, but am I any better for what you find inside of me? What about my own self-deception? So I'm about to tell you something probably deeper than I've ever spoken in the 40 years that I've been in front of people speaking. This is probably the most intimate and authentic you'll ever hear me up to this point. Last week, Pam said something to me that triggered something inside of me that made me become rude and not so much, hey, Jesus loves you. She asked me then, and she was wonderful. She was so mature. She walked up and she hugged me and she said, what's wrong with you? She didn't want to fight me. She said, what's wrong with you? I said, give me time. I'm not sure why that came out that way. Because the, the emotion and the thoughts that came out really had nothing to do with the action that, that, that prompted it. And so I began to trace it back, and, and I traced it back to a root of, of something, some insecurity and some failure that was there. And then as I began to confess to Pam the thoughts that I had previously probably refused to recognize, 
let alone express. As I expressed those to Pam, I felt shame. I felt failure. I felt pain. I felt wrapped in that. You say, well, where was that? The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who really knows what's in there? So then you ask the question, do I really want God to go searching and rooting around inside of there and bringing that stuff up to the surface? Do I want to know the you that I don't know? And the psalmist says, I want to make this clear. God, I need to contend for you. I really want to love you to that degree that you described. And to do that, I have to give you permission to root around inside of me. And so he prays this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's an offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, that whole invasion of God into our, into our thoughts and into our space and into our time and into our destiny, it brings us to this point that God, you know the you that I don't know. So I have a question for you. When you do know that, what are you going to do with it? Because that's the question we have for every relationship. If you really knew who I was, how would you treat me? To settle into God is to trust what he knows. So, a couple hours after this episode with Pam, we turned in for the night and I crawled into bed and we went eye to eye. And I had no words on my lips. I had nothing to say. Because here's the deal. deal that the fear of who I really am and now how it would affect our relationship has no words. Because there's a part of me she just discovered that I didn't even know was there until two hours before. She knew my shame. So I remember beginning to fall asleep, and, and, and I go to sleep pretty quick. There are times that I can say to Pam, three, two, one, and she says, by the time I hit one, I'm asleep. I'm just, I'm just really good at that. And so I wanted to escape this. I didn't know what to do with it. It came out. I didn't know what to do with it at all. I didn't know how it was going to affect how Pam would treat me. I, I just had no way of knowing what was going to happen. I just wanted to sleep. And I just started to fall into that sleep when this happened. I felt this gentle hand, a tender hand, begin to caress my face. Not in a sensuous manner, but with a depth of reassuring love that resonated down beyond both my fear and my pain. The one that knew a part of me that I hadn't even known until that point had not retreated from me. But a love calling out from her, a reaching out of her hand, was saying, the deeper I know you, the greater you will understand my love for you. And at that moment, as never before in my life, I'm almost 61, and never before in these 61 years until this moment have I felt that kind of safety and peace. Because she saw a part of me that no one knew and I didn't want her to know. And she saw it and she said, I'm not running from you. The more you show me, the greater my love is for you. I think it's what the psalmist meant when he said, lead me in the path and the way everlasting. Show me the path that leads me closer to you. Love knows because love heals. 
And it brings us then to this point. To walk with God is to stand alone in commitment and stand together in community. It is very difficult to detest what is evil without depending on community that loves. One of the reasons that we give way to a lifestyle that is not holy is because we're afraid that we will be rejected. We're afraid that we will be alone. But our commitment to God demands that we are willing to be alone if we wear his name. We cannot buy into sin even if the culture says that we have to be tolerant or it says that we must condone it so that there is harmony or we realize if we do this, they will turn against us. For God said through Jeremiah, you must influence them. They must not influence you. So I want you to check out this, this first grader, fifth grader from elementary school in Salem, Oregon, praying for his school on See You at the Pole a few weeks ago. You say he's alone. Oh, it seems that way. But he's not. Search me, O Lord, and know what's in here. And lead me in the path everlasting. So the question to God is this. If you search me and you find that stuff, what will you do with it? Well, God gave an answer when he cloaked his son in skin and his son came and said this and did this. He said, the night that he was going to be betrayed and then crucified, he said, this is my body, broken for you. It means this. This is my body, which is for you, which means that when God searches you and he finds those ugly pieces inside of you, you let him do that and he brings them, what's he gonna do with that? He takes them, God takes them, and he puts them on Jesus. In Jeremiah, God said, you will get your due reward. There is my due reward. This is the ugliness of my life that I have inside that I've kept hidden or didn't even know it was there. I've kept it so well hidden. And here it is. And God says, I'm taking that and the due reward goes and is placed on my son. This is his body. He's given for you. It's on him. So that you may be healed. For by your stripes he is healed. You are healed. And this is my cup. A blood establishing a new covenant, a new life. For if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creature. And therefore, the due reward that Jesus would get, he gets ours and we get his and who he is and what he deserves is placed on us. So that in our pain and our shame and in our failure, we realize that no one, that, that the one who has always known what's inside of us that one, the psalmist said, you knew it before I spoke it. You knew before I thought it. You, I went there and you saw it before I even did it. You knew that. That one, the one who knows those parts of us that we didn't even know till today or may not know for another year, that one is not retreating from us, but instead he is reaching out. He is calling out and he's saying to us, the deeper I know you, the greater you will understand my love for you. But not just him. Because Paul the Apostle in talking about this said, you know, you realize that when you do this, this Eucharist, this communion, you need to understand that you are all one body, that you are all one loaf, that we're doing life together because this is happening to all of us at this very moment. 
that that love that we're feeling from God, we share with each other so that you can be authentic, so that you can feel peace and safety, and that that peace and safety given in our most vulnerable times will empower us to say, at any evil moment, I may seem to stand alone against you, evil, but I am not alone because I have a God and a community who know me most and love me best. That's why we have to do life together. So I'm going to ask those who are going to serve us the elements today to come and take their place, and the band is going to come back up. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come, and I'm going to invite you to, to say, this is his body for me. And, and I want you to come this morning to say, I'm giving you permission to search me. This week, search me. As I fast, search me. Know me, because I don't want that stuff inside of me. Because in the same way that, that I discovered with Pam, it will come out in an ugly way because it is ugly inside, and God wants to clear that out. Because then I say, thank you for your body and your blood because you give me a new life and because all that stuff's placed on you and your stuff's placed on me, oh Lord. And then I want you to come, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite you to come, and you're going to stand, or you're going to come to the front. The ushers are going to come and dismiss you row by row. You'll come in one side and go, in the, uh, go back the other way. And, and you're going to come, and you're going to stand, come to the, the front, and you're going to take that bread, his body, and you're going to dip that into that, that juice, his blood, and you're going to declare, oh, Lord, search me. Know me. I'm going to invite you to do that. But then, but then, when you turn around and you see these folks that are seated here and standing there, you'll understand that that same love that God has for you, we have for one another because we're here to do life together. And we're not going to stand here and say, look at you, look at the sin you've committed, who would want to be with you? We're not going to do that. First of all, I want to invite you to join us next week as we begin a new series we're going to look at Moses and the Exodus and what it takes for us to be the community that helps each of us make it through our own wilderness, how we do life together in that way. And so I want to end today with, again, the words and the promise of God to Jeremiah. And, and I want you to go from here joyful. I know we, we just had to come face to face with stuff that we don't know are inside or maybe inside and we don't want to deal with. But the good news is that, that the psalmist said, lead me in the way everlasting. And that way everlasting means it is just an incredible journey with God. It's a wonderful journey. So may this be our response and then God's response to us, which is this, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord, God of heaven's armies. I never joined the people in the merry feast, but I sat alone because your hand was on me. I was filled with indignation at their sins. And God's response to us is this. If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. And if you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesperson. Now you must influence them. Do not let them influence you. Go and be incredible influencers in the world around us. I love you guys. Thank you for being here today. Have a great week.